The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. The book of Jude. Jude, I would say chapter 1, but there's only one chapter, so... Turn to Jude chapter 2. If you have the New International Version, you'll find that there. All right, well, it is good to see everyone here this morning. And, and so uh, let's get in our study today. Uh, let's pray before we get started. Father, we do thank you for your word. We, we love your word, Father, and find such comfort and peace and strength in, in its pages and in its in its teachings. And Lord, I pray now that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, help us to live this Christian life to its fullest as you desire. Uh, And Lord, that we might be good and faithful servants. Thank you for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's review just a bit. I I started a study a while back on the Christian life and we started out with the beginning, beginnings. And we talked about the first time, um, first time we met, uh, about beginning, and we said that beginning involves planning, and of course God's plan in uh, salvation in, in our Christian life was repentance and redemption, that he, would, that he would bring his people to repentance and that he would redeem them unto himself. Uh, beginning, we said, involves purpose, and the purpose, God's purpose in, in all of creation, God's purpose in, in our eternal life, God's purpose in our Christian life, we said, was for his own what? glorification all that God does is to bring glory to himself and we need to remember that and all that we do by the way as his children should should bring glory to him so that's a that's a very convicting fact that we need to judge our own lives and conduct ourselves in such a way that glorifies God and then we said thirdly that beginning involves power and the power and we saw was in the in the resurrection of Christ and uh, in our own resurrections, God has power, and, and uh, we saw that. Then uh, last time we met, we looked at a call unto salvation, and we, we looked at, at the call that we've received from God. Each of us who sit here today as God's children, we received a call from God unto salvation. And I said that there were three things we ought to strive to do uh, involving our salvation. First, I said we are to endeavor to understand our salvation. Now this side of heaven, this side of perfection will never completely comprehend uh, God's and all of his greatness. We'll never completely understand salvation. But we are to strive to learn, be learning constantly uh, all the truth that is involved in the salvation that we have. We said, uh, I said secondly that we are to labor to reap the harvest of salvation. That we are to work toward uh, seeing other people saved. Now, you and I have nothing, we, we, we can't save anyone. We have nothing, the only power we have is the power of influence. The only power we have is to preach the word, but we are to strive to do that. We are to labor, to work in the fields. Jesus said, look under the fields, they're white already under harvest. It's not our job to grow the fruit, it's just our job to go and gather the fruit. So we said that, and then thirdly, we said to be diligent to remember our salvation. How easy it is for us to forget. 
And I've known Christians over the years who, years down the road from the day they were saved, forget exactly who they were, where they were, and how they got where they are. Remember what Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul said that, that it's God's grace that made him what he is, and he needs to remember that, and we need to remember that. Every day, I, I, do it, I did it this morning. I, every day I stand in front of the mirror and I look at myself and I, I say, you are a very blessed man. And I, I thought back to that day I got saved. And I thought back to that moment when God opened my eyes and revealed to me the truth of his love and the truth of his grace. And then I received him and I believed unto salvation. Don't ever forget that day. Don't ever forget it. If, if, how long has it been since you thought about it? We should think about it every day. Because, you know, I think every day about the day I met my wife. I think about that every day. I love my wife and I still remember that first moment I saw her. And I remember that moment we met. And I, I, try, I, I think about that often. Don't ever forget what God has done through you and for you. So remember those things. So now this morning I want to look at the sanctification of the believer. Let's look at Jude, and we'll begin in verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. James says it's necessary for us to remember. It's necessary that he write to them and remind them to contend for the faith. Because there are men in this world who seek to destroy the truth of God. I don't know if you're aware of that. There are men who stand in, in pulpits in Baptist churches who seek to destroy the truth of God. And, and we must be ever so cautious that we remember the truth of God and that we contend for the faith. So today I want to talk to you about sanctification. Now, you know, the, the best way for Satan to fight truth is to imitate truth. That is the best way. If, I mean, you and I are not deceived by something so opposite of truth. We're not deceived by that. But it is possible to deceive God's children if you can imitate truth ever so carefully. So when we talk about sanctification, today I want to look at the sanctification that we have in, in God. The sanctification that we have through the Father and in the Son and through the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at these three facets of our sanctification today. Now, Peter did say, sanctify your hearts. And so there is a, there is a, 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 a mode of sanctification that we do ourselves. There is. 
And, and, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that later on down the road in, in our series of lessons. But today, I, I want to talk to you about the sanctification that causes us to live for God, the sanctification that preserves us. And that is not a work of, our, of ourselves, but it is a work of the, of, the, of the Godhead. And that's what I want to look at today. Now, what exactly do I mean when I say sanctification? Is it something that God has called us to do for ourselves? Or something that God does for us? Well, sanctification is just as salvation. Salvation is not a calling unto action on our part. It is a calling to receive that which God has prepared and provided through his sovereign will and through the shed blood of Christ. It's what he has done for us. Sanctification uh, is defined as, uh, as follows. To call out or to separate. To make holy. To pardon from guilt. To cleanse and to purify. Now... When we consider these definitions of sanctification, these descriptions of sanctification, it is clear to see and clear to understand that this is not a work that you and I can accomplish by our own power. You see, because we cannot make ourselves holy. We can try all that we want. But you and I cannot make ourselves holy in the sight of God. Uh, We cannot free our own self from the guilt of sin. There's nothing I can do to free myself from the guilt of sin. And, and there is nothing I can do to purify and cleanse my own heart. So when we consider the true definition of sanctification, we discover that it is not something that we can do for ourselves. We cannot be sanctified of our own power, will, or merit. So how can we be sanctified? Well, sanctification is a contiguous work that begins at at conversion and is finished in glorification. In other words, God began to sanctify you and I at our salvation, and he continues through the work of sanctification throughout our lives until We stand in his presence, in our glorified bodies, in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So it's a contiguous work. It's it's never ending. It's never stopping. It will go on until we take our final breath. So we need to understand that. If If I'm going to understand my role in sanctification, if I'm going to understand how God does and has sanctified me, I I need to understand it's not my work, it's his. But that doesn't mean that I don't have an, an active part in living out his expectations. It simply means that now I've been empowered. Now I've been enabled to do all the things that God wants me to do because of his sanctification. And his work in my life. So I want to look at these three modes of sanctification this morning. And and please listen and understand. First of all, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm not going to tell you nothing that we haven't all been taught already. Secondly, 
I don't have time to, I mean, it would take me a year worth of Sunday lessons to thoroughly teach sanctification. So what I'm going to do today is really whet your appetite. Uh, you ever go to a deli and they're trying to sell some special cut of meat? What do they do? Hey, would you like a little taste of this meat? What are they doing? Well, they're trying to whet your appetite, right? It works with me, you can tell. Uh, they usually whet my appetite very well. And uh, then I attempt to slake it by buying everything they have in the store. But this morning, we're just going to introduce some of these thoughts to you. And then I'm going to encourage you to take the time in your own personal study and allow, allow God to teach you the, the depths of this, of this doctrine of sanctification. So first this morning, let's look at the sanctification by God the Father. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go there real quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's begin reading at verse number 23. We read here, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. So we, we see here, Paul writes unto the church at Thessalonica, uh, we see that God is the author of our sanctification. God is the preserver of our soul. God did not, God did not hear our plea and save us and then, and then set us loose and say, okay, go out there and, and do the best you can. He, he didn't do that. Uh, the Bible tells us that of old we were ordained to walk in works of righteousness, doesn't it? The scripture says that we were of old ordained to walk to perform works of righteousness. God's, God's children, the, uh, the saints that he has called unto salvation, it was his will that once we are saved, that we walk in righteousness, that we, that we perform the works that he has called us to do. Now, God would not call you and I unless he enabled us to do it. The military doesn't call soldiers and, and enlist soldiers and and, and, and then just send them off to battle without training them, without equipping them, without arming them, without providing them with support and backup and, and all the power of the nation is behind each soldier, right? Much more so God the Father, who has called us and ordained us unto works of righteousness, and he has enabled us, and he has equipped us, and he has empowered us to perform these works. This work is is attributed to but but separate from regeneration the work of sanctification is is a, is not uh it's 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 um uh, attributed to our salvation but it's it's a separate work by the father it's separate from our regeneration from our effectual calling and and from our conversion those things were all done by the father yes but he doesn't just release us after that and as i said tell you to go out and do the best you can because the best you can do and the best I can do is no, not good at all. Paul said there is, no, there is no good in him. And if there was no good in Paul, I can guarantee you there's no good in me. I wish there were. 
I, I wish I could I wish I could be a, the the person I should always be, but I, I there it isn't in me to be that way. What is in me is evil. What is in me is wickedness. What is in me is depravity. And if if I don't, as we're, we're going to talk a little bit in just a few minutes about the mortification of the flesh, if I don't if I don't put down that flesh and lift up the Christ in my life every day, I will fail in my walk for Christ. These are they that have been chosen by God and set apart unto his service. They are chosen unto holiness here and, the Bible says, hereafter. In, in, in Jude chapter 1, and, uh, we read it in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So, this is the external sanctification peculiar only to, to, to God the Father. This, this particular work of, of sanctification, this, this, this work of, of per, preserving us, is, is unique to the Father himself. And, and, and it is one-third of the, of the sanctifying work that is performed uh, through, by the Godhead. By this work of the Father we are made holy. You say, well, why is that so important to understand? Well, because if we don't understand that our holiness comes by the Father, we're going to attempt to live holiness on our, on our own, by power of our flesh. And we may have momentary bouts when we do good and when we do right, but remember the Bible says all of our works are as filthy rags unto God. God's not interested in what you can do. He's interested in what he has done. He's interested in the work of Jesus Christ and his own, his own Holy Spirit. These are the things that are pleasing unto the Father. And until we understand that our sanctification comes from God, the Father, then we will, we will not submit ourselves to the righteousness of Christ. And we will attempt to live in our own righteousness, which will be failure. So we see first the sanctification by uh, God the Father. But then secondly, I want us to, to consider the sanctification by Christ, the Son of God, by the second member of the Godhead, Christ, the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Let's, let's turn there. I want, you to, I want you to turn there and see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's begin at verse 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Paul writes here, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So we see here, the sanctification by Christ, the Son of God. This is, this is resultant in the imputed righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. Um, 
when I taught high school and I preached chapel, I tried to find ways to help the young people comprehend the, the teachings of God. And when we talk about the imputed righteousness, what does that mean? Well, I don't know, uh, some of you in this room may remember uh, getting smallpox vaccinations. How many of you are old enough to remember smallpox vaccination? I'm Brother Gary, get that hand up there, I know you are. And uh, I have a scar right here on my shoulder, as a matter of fact, from that inoculation. And what they did was they actually injected the smallpox virus into your body. But they did it in such a small amount that your, your own body's antibodies were able to overcome and, and, and destroy the, the um, smallpox virus. Then your body reproduced those antibodies in large quantities and you were protected against smallpox. When we talk about the imputed righteousness of Christ... Think about it this way. When, when I was saved, God injected me with the DNA of Jesus Christ. He imputed, he infused into me the righteousness of Christ. So that Jesus' righteousness lives in my body. The imputed righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. Here we find the intercessory work of Christ on our behalf. We are pardoned in the sight of God by virtue of the representative work of Christ for and on behalf of God's children. This is the work of expiation and propitiation of our sin, which only Christ can accomplish. Now, I don't think I put this on your study sheet, so you might want to jot it down. Expiation. What is that? Expiation is the act of atoning for a crime. It's the act of making satisfaction for an offense, by which the guilt is done away and the obligation of the offended person to punish the crime is canceled. So our, 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 our sins, our faults, our crimes were expiated by Jesus Christ, who himself bore our crimes and took our punishments. That is, his, that is a part of his sanctifying work. He, he, he makes us blameless in the sight of the Father. When Satan goes to God and says... Why are you blessing Dalton Abshire? He's a sinner. Jesus says, yes, but I expiated that crime. I did that. So get out of here, Satan. And that, that's exactly what he does. He, he has expiated. We were guilty. And the penalty must be paid. Yet, through the sanctification of Jesus Christ, we are pardoned. Of all crimes. But then. He also has the work of propitiation. Now what is that? That is the act of appeasing wrath. 
and conciliating the favor of an offended person. Who is the offended person? God the Father. And the propitiation of Christ is the very act of appeasing the wrath of God. And, and obtaining the favor of God upon me by his own actions. Ooh, that, that makes, I, get, I get chills when I think about that. Pastor's been preaching on Sunday morning about the crucifixion of Christ. And, and he talked about the darkness. And the darkness was, was veiled upon this earth because God did not want to, men to see the wrath he poured out upon Jesus Christ, his own son. I, I can only imagine what he endured. And, and, and that is his work. How dare, how dare you and I live lives less than they ought to be considering what Jesus did. Christ has expiated. He has removed the penalty of sin from us by offering himself a ransom for our soul. And he has propitiated stood before God and procured reconciliation for us. It is because of this work of Christ, his intercession, that we are kept saved. This is the sanctification we have in Christ as found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12 where we read, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. The reason you can never lose your salvation is because you had nothing to do with it. You ever think of that? You had nothing to do with your own salvation. Nothing. Jesus bore the, the penalty. He paid the, he paid the crime. God forgave you. And on top of all of that, he came to you. And he quickened your dead soul. He regenerated you. And he revealed truth unto you. And then he gave you the faith to believe. What did you, what did you do? You, pardon my English. You ain't done nothing. You got nothing to do with your salvation. So you can't lose it because it's not of you. You, can't, you could only lose it if, if, it was, if Christ did something to... To, to alter God's uh, opinion. And that's not going to happen. So we're secure. By the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ. Who has expiated our crimes. And has propitiated the favor of God upon us. So we, we see the first two modes of sanctification. And they're external uh, and positional in nature. However, there is a third mode of sanctification that is internal in nature. It is a progressive work that is intended to continually cleanse and purify the believer in Christ. And this is the sanctification by the Holy Spirit of God. Number three is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians. You should be right there in the neighborhood. Just 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And let's look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, begin in verse number 13. Paul writes here, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, there, are, so many, there are so many things wrapped up in those, in those few verses. Did you notice in verse 14, he said, whereunto he called you by our gospel? Herein we see the great responsibility of the people of God to go forth and preach the gospel. It's by by the preaching of the gospel that God saves people, right? For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. And and God could choose any method in the universe that he he wanted to impart salvation to to his children. But he has chosen that you and I will bear the gospel to a dying world. It's not our preaching that saves. It's God that saves. But it's by the preaching that God saves. But that's a sideline. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about here. The sanctification by the Holy Spirit of God. One can define sanctification as the putting off of the old man. And then the putting on of the new man. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, Paul says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts. Then in verse 24, he says that ye put, um, putting, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, While this does have a foundation in scripture, this work has already been accomplished through the sanctification given us by God the Father, uh, which is positional, considering that the old man refers to the corrupt nature, and it is by God's work of sanctification that we are made holy. This is not a removal, however. God didn't remove the old nature. It's still there. That's why from time to time you still have the thoughts you shouldn't have. That's why from time to time you still struggle with the things that you might might be... I've been saved for 34, going on 35 years, and there are still times when I, I say, what in the world am I doing, you know? I still struggle with things, uh, and I will struggle with things until I stand in his presence, and sin is totally eradicated from me. So, God didn't remove the old nature. He simply imputed the righteousness of Christ. He he infused you and I with, with the righteousness of Christ. He made us holy by his sanctifying work. But we still have the old man, don't we? We still struggle with the old nature. It's not a removal... It's a dispossession. It's a removal of the old nature from the seat of authority. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 we read, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, 
His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Uh, This sanctification of the Holy Spirit can be defined as vivification and mortification. Again, this, this principle of sanctification is the living principle by which a man that was dead in trespasses and sins is quickened and enlightened. He is given the measure of faith in order that he might believe and be saved. Paul speaks of the mortification of the flesh in Romans chapter 8, in verses 12 through 14. We read, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So what did God do? What is this mortification of the flesh? Well, it's, it's, remember, it's a dispossession. It's a removal from the seat of authority in your life. God has taken and he has limited the authority of the flesh. That's why I say often, when you sin now... It's not because you have to sin. It's because you want to sin. You see, before I was saved, I I had no choice. Sin ruled my body. Before I was saved, I could resist and resist and resist, but I would always succumb. Why? Because sin reigned and ruled in my body. But upon my... Upon my salvation and the sanctifying work of the, of the Father, he removed sin from the seat of authority in my life. And now, who am I going to put in that seat? I'm either going to put the flesh in that seat, or I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in that seat. Who am I going to put on the throne of my life? That's the real question. The, the flesh or the Holy Spirit? Again, I I tried to help children visualize what I was talking about. And I use a pit bull. Sin is a pit bull. A mean, vicious pit bull. And that pit bull controlled our life. He ruled us. He, He made us do what he wanted to do. But God saved us and he took that pit bull and he chained it up to a tree. And now that put bull only has a short chain. So I can now walk around and, hey, pit bull. And he can snarl and he can bark and he can, but he can't get me. Unless, what? Unless I go too close. Then he can still get me. And that's exactly what God has done with the flesh in our life. He uses the Holy Spirit to hold back the flesh. And the flesh still, still barks at us. The flesh still tries to make us do what it wants. And the flesh still tempts us. And the flesh still comes after us. But the flesh has no authority. And unless I let it control me, it can't control me. If I yield myself to the Spirit, if I stay away from the flesh, that's why Paul said, abstain from the appearance of evil. Even the appearance of it. 
I have Christians come to me and say, well, I went to this movie. It just has a few curse words in it. It it just has a few things that shouldn't be there. Well, then that's too many. Amen? Uh Uh-oh. Maybe I ought to park a while. No, I'm teaching. I'm not supposed to be preaching. Listen, we have to... I don't don't know. The older I get, the, the more difficulty I have. I think trying to help people understand. Do you realize who you are? You're a child of the king. Do you realize God is your father? Do you realize you have a mansion in heaven? Do you realize you're going to live forever? So why do we want to entertain ourselves with this world when we have available to us the love of the father? And Listen, don't forget, friendship with this world is enmity with God. You can't, you, can't, you can't be God's friend while you're a friend of the world. It doesn't work. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to wrap this up. Let me give you four final thoughts and we're done. Sanctification is evident by our reverence for God. This world does not respect God. This world has no respect for God. And when we live our lives with a lack of reverence for God, we're befriending the world. Secondly, sanctification is evident by our love for God. This world does not love God. What did they do with Jesus? They crucified him. They don't, they have, there's no love for God in this world. There's only hatred for God in this world. So our sanctification is evident by our love for God. Thirdly, sanctification is evident by our submission to God. Are you obedient to the Father? You know, my daddy used to tell me when I I was a kid and I would do wrong, I would say, Daddy, I'm going to do this, and Daddy, I'm going to do that. He would say, Son, don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you've done. In other words, shut your mouth and, and put, put, put it to action. So, our submission to God. And then lastly, sanctification is evident by our service to God. By our service to God. What are, you, what are we doing for God in our lives? Are, are we a witness unto the Father? Do we, do we serve him in our local church? Do we, do we do all the things that he's called us to do to serve him? You see, when we, when we serve the Lord, that's evidence of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's evidence that we have taken the flesh off the seat of authority and we've put the Spirit of God on that seat. Your life tells a story, whether you like it or not. My life tells a story. What story does it tell? All right, folks, it's 10 till. I'm going to stop here. Uh, Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, 
you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.